and find the book of Psalms tonight. Not hard. Hope Baptist Church here in Loveland. And I say things like that uh, because I want you to know that I do know where I am. Unlike some people in this country. Anyway, <clears throat> that's my paid political announcement for the night. Anyway, uh, Pastor Outler asked me to give a bit of a testimony. I was saved in October of 1974 and very persuaded about a year and a half later in 1976 that the Lord wanted me to be a preacher. And I told my pastor about it, and a month later on the 5th of May, he gave me an opportunity to fill the pulpit on a Wednesday night, and the bug bit me, and I have been preaching ever since. And that's just about all that I do. Spent about 15 years as an assistant pastor, another 28 as a senior pastor, and now uh, these last almost four years traveling the country uh, preaching revivals, conferences, retreats, and other types of meetings. In 2012, I took my younger daughter to college, and the pastor of the church that sponsors that college uh, asked me to preach on that Wednesday night, and I preached on the subject of decision-making. And as I was preaching, the Spirit of God was preaching to me. And that message that the Spirit of God kept hammering home as I was preaching was that I had a decision to make. And so when I got home, I committed that to prayer as to what exactly the Lord wanted me to do, and it became very clear to me that he wanted me to preach out. And so I uh, met with the leaders of our church and said, you know, I'm going to be taking two, three, four meetings a year, and they're like, well, that's great, you know, let's, let's get on board with that, and my assistant would preach in my absence and so on, and the more I did that, the more I became convinced that I was supposed to do it full time. So in the fall of 2019, it's not on. There you go. All right. Is that better? Can everybody hear me? Does anyone, does anyone hear me who doesn't want to? Anyway, uh, fall of 2019, I resigned our church where I'd been in LaGrange, Indiana for about 21 years of those years as pastor and uh, went on the highway. Seven months later, the country shut down, and I lost about 10 weeks of meetings, and then picked it right up on the other side, and here we are, and we've, we've been doing about 25,000 miles a year, and uh, preaching about 47, 48 weeks a year, so enjoying every bit of it, loving it, and thrilled to be with you people tonight. My wife is not with me, and there is a wonderful, 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 wonderful reason for that, and that is that she stayed home to attend the birth of our 10th grandchild, born last Sunday morning at 1258, when I was, very happy to say, sleeping. <laughs> Amen. Wives and grandmothers stay up all night long for such events as that. But anyway, so we now have six little grand girls and four little grand boys, and we're just having a wonderful time as old people. All right, Psalms. Tonight, Psalm 138. Psalm 138. Many of the Old Testament prophets, and David was a prophet, many of the Old Testament prophets were revivalists, and they spent their entire ministries calling the people of God back to God. 
And revival is something that is for believers. You cannot revive someone until that person has been given life. And we have life in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said later in the Gospel of John, or, or earlier, he said, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it, that is life, more abundantly. And I believe the life in the first case, I have come that they might have life, refers to our salvation. And that they might have it more abundantly, I believe, refers to once we're saved, we can walk in the Spirit, we can be Spirit-filled believers, we can abide in Christ, and we can have marvelous victories, or I might say, revivals. I believe revival is a personal matter as well as a church matter. If 20 people in this room had personal revival, it would largely affect this church. If this church then uh, had revival, it would impact the community in which your church is located. And so I preach revival messages anytime I get the opportunity because I believe the people of God need periodic stirring. Vance Havner used to say that the job a, of an evangelist or a revivalist is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So if you are comfortable in your Christianity tonight, perhaps I need to do a little stirring. This is a revival psalm. Psalm 138 is a revival psalm. And David announces that, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 7, though I walk in the midst of the trouble, thou wilt revive me. It's a revival psalm. And it is a psalm of David, <clears throat> undated by those who would place his psalms chronologically. Uh, nobody seems to know exactly where this psalm uh, took place in his life, but it could be uh, during the time when he was coming back to Ziklag and the city was burned and all the wives and children of, of the soldiers had been taken it seems that it might be that because he says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me, thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. It seems like it might fit right there at 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. Well, so let's look at this psalm tonight, but first let's pray. Father, we are grateful tonight that we can gather in the house of God. We're grateful for the freedoms that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're grateful for the promises, exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the, the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so, Father, tonight, as hearts hear the word of God, may they take it in, may they, may they absorb the precious truths of the Bible, and would you awaken us, even as you said in Ephesians, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Would you do that for us tonight, and would you work in the hearts, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This psalm starts out with what I call the background for revival, or the background of revival. Every revival has a background. And I think it's interesting that we can go into a Baptist church in any state in the Union. I've been in a number of states. And, and you, know, you know how church services work? Uh, there, there are prayers and there is singing and there is scripture reading. And there are perhaps uh, other things that go into the worship service. 
But I want you to know that there's a reason we do that. Because those are things that are the background for revival. Look at the early verses of Psalm 138. I will praise thee. There's the music. There's the singing. With my whole heart before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name. There's some more singing. <clears throat> for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answeredst me and strengthenedst me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee. There's some more singing. See it there? O Lord, when they hear the words of my mouth, yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. There is a purpose behind the singing. We don't just sing to take up time. We don't just sing because that's tradition. We sing because the people of God have a song to sing. And we sing that new song according to Psalm 96, verse 1. And the new song is about the Lord. And the new song is about eternal life. And the new song is about prayer. And the new song is about grace. And the new song is about our hope. And the new song is about the second coming. And, and on and on it can go, all the grand and glorious themes. And you know, the background of every revival is a singing people. A singing people. And those songs are about the precious themes of this book. Those psalms are about the precious Savior. Those songs are about our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, whom we look for. We're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. We're looking for him and we sing of him. But notice it's not just praise. There is prayer. Part of the background of revival is praise. Part of it's prayer. Notice what you, uh, if you would tonight, <clears throat> verse 3. In the day when I cried, thou answerest me and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. I think it's interesting that David uses one of the very common Old Testament words here for prayer. Cried. Cried. I cried unto the Lord. And he heard my voice, David said, in another place. And I think it is important that we understand that so many of our prayers are rather passionless and vapid. And I think God up in heaven is listening to every prayer. And I think God up in heaven sometimes listens to Jeff Farnham pray and thinks, well, he doesn't sound like it really matters to him. Right? Because we Baptists have developed a certain sophistication about us that makes us almost look like Presbyterians. And if you have a Presbyterian background, no offense intended, but they are rather sophisticated people. And we need to get back, you know, if, if we want to have full churches like we had in the 60s and 70s and 80s, then we need to get back to some real prayer in our churches. When people got on their faces and got on their knees, when people actually cried, <laughs> wept. When I was pastoring in LaGrange, Indiana, Brother Outler, <clears throat> we had a fellow come and get saved, and he was 
has excited a new believer as I've ever seen. And uh, his wife came with him, and she was not an excited new believer. She was a somewhat unexcited unbeliever. And uh, the fact that her husband had gotten saved and was excited about the things of God sort of irritated her. And, and so I was talking to her one day, and she gave what I would call a weak profession of faith. And when somebody gives me a profession of faith, I don't try to get them unsaved. I just, I said, okay, you know, this lady says she knows the Lord. And so I went forward with that and I said, would you be interested in baptism and joining the church along with your husband? And her reply kind of shocked me. She said, I am not going to be one of those slobbering Baptists. <laughs> now, I wasn't quite sure what a slobbering Baptist was. That description alarmed me a wee bit. I think what she meant was, I'm a little bit above those people that kneel at the altar and maybe leave tears. I, I think that's what she was saying. And the more I got to know her, the more I realized that's exactly what she was saying. And her husband would come and pray at the altar and she would stand at the pew and, and her husband would get involved and do things and she would stay back and I, what I want to say is, folks, if we want to see God do something, then let's get on our faces before him and ask. David said, in the day when I cried, and the word cry here in the Bible, sometimes it means crying with tears. Sometimes it means crying out. A little volume and a little passion, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I think sometimes the ineffective, very passionless prayers accomplish very little. Because as I said, I think God's up in heaven saying it doesn't seem much like it matters to him. I have a preacher friend who said, God is not very likely to send revival to people who are okay if he doesn't. And so we want to understand that the background for revival, it involves, it involves praise, it involves prayer, it involves the people of God really being serious, crying out and asking and asking again and asking again and begging again and pleading again and crying out again and you're having cottage prayer meetings. Thank God for that. Don't forget to pray for revival. Revise your personal prayer list and somewhere in the top five items, put revival. And then after it, in parenthesis, put personal and church. And pray for that and pray for it daily and pray for it regularly. And don't wait until two weeks before your pastor uh, has a revival on the church calendar and then start praying. No, the time to pray for the next revival, the time to start doing that is tonight. Tonight, notice the background for revival is praise and prayer. Notice it is precepts from the word of God. Notice what he says in verse two. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. The word of God is higher than than the name of God. Now, why would that be? Why would God exalt his word 
above his name. We know that at the name of Jesus, one day every knee will bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has made his name above every name. And yet, above that name is his word. Why is that? Because it is in this word that we learn everything we know about that name. Therefore, the word must be above the name to give credibility and credence to the name. The name is given its authority. The name is given its power. The name is given its might. The name is given its honor because the word of God that mentions that name is elevated above it. I would encourage you to be people of the book. I would encourage you to be one of those men, one of those ladies, one of those children who reads the Bible every day. Amen. Amen. I would encourage you to be one of those people who studies the Bible and read it daily and read it doctrinally and read it devotionally and, and read it uh, diligently and read it devotedly. Read the Bible. Get to know this book. J. Frank Norris taught his preacher boys, learn the Bible while you're young so that when you are an adult, you can draw out of it like a well. How important it is that we become familiar with and fluent in the Word of God. How important it is that when we encounter somebody who has questions, we have answers. And part of the background for revival is prayer. Part of it is praise. Part of it is the precepts. Why do we always have a time in the Word of God when we're in church? Why do we always have a time to pray? Why do we always have singing? Because that's the background for revival. There's one other thing, and that is proclamation. David says here, <clears throat> verse 4, All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Now, how are they going to hear the words of thy mouth? How are the kings of the earth going to hear the word of God? How are they going to? Because David, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Israel, the king of the ten tribes in the north and the two in the south that he brought together and unified as one nation, would tell them about him. David was a bold speaker for Jehovah God, a bold witness. And I can tell you today that every revival involves these four things. That's the background. So when you come to church, and there's the proclamation of the truth, when you come to church, the precepts of the word of God are taught. When you come to church and there's praise, when you come to church and there's prayer, you know what Pastor Outler is doing every time he oversees a church service? He's preparing you for revival. He's preparing you so that God can speak to your heart. He's preparing you so that the word of God can lodge in your soul. He's preparing you. He's overseeing a very important thing called a worship service so that the spirit of God can use the word of God in the heart of a child of God. Now, one person may get revived tonight. Somebody else might get revived next Sunday and somebody else the next and somebody else the next. And you know what happens to fire? It spreads. And so the background for revival is really 
just a good old-fashioned church service. We come to the second main point, and that is the battles in revival. Notice in verses 6 and 7, though the Lord be high. You see, there's one of the issues about revival. We think of God and we think of him as so high and lifted up and his train fills the temple as we find out in Isaiah chapter 6. We think of God as so mighty and so powerful and so knowledgeable and so everything that we can't reach him. Well, notice what the Bible says. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly. But the proud he knoweth afar off. I would call your attention to a cross-reference this evening in Isaiah chapter 57. Keep your finger here, if you will, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 138. And let's find Isaiah 57. And notice, if you will, in this marvelous verse, Isaiah 57, 15, it is the only verse that mentions the word revive twice. It's the only verse in all the word of God where we find the word, of re the word revive occurring two times. For thus saith the high and lofty one, there he is, though the Lord be high, he's the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. Wow. Talk about awe-inspiring. Talk about the fact that we might feel a little hesitant in his glorious presence. Ah, but look what he says. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isaiah 66 verse 2, God says these words, For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. One of the battles of revival is the fact that God is so very high and we are not. But notice how this struck, the word is structured here. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect Unto whom? The lowly. Peter says it this way. Be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. James says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and the Lord will lift you up. He, James also says he giveth more grace he gives more grace. He gives grace to the humble. There is, a, there is a response of God. And when we think of God is so high, it can put us off. Until we remember that even though he is so high, he has respect under the lowly. You know what God loves to see? He loves to see humble people. You are proud, God will stiff arm you today. 
God will stiff arm you because they don't get any closer. Because there are six things, yea, seven, that are an abomination to the Lord. And at the top of the list is a proud look. Just a proud look. Say nothing about a proud mouth. Say nothing about proud actions. Say nothing about proud deeds. No, just a proud look. That, that pharisaical, look-down-the-nose countenance. That, come not near unto me, for I am holier than thou. That person does not ever have to concern himself with revival because they never have. It is the humble, it is the broken, it is the contrite, it is those that realize they are helpless, it is those who find themselves in situations where they, are, they have no ability, situations where they have no control, situations where there is nothing that they can do. And instead of fighting, and instead of uh, doubling up their fists and putting their shoulder to the wheel again and insisting, I'm going to do this, they humble themselves. They fall on their knees. They get down low with God. That's the kind of person that God says, now there is somebody I can work with. I was in a revival service in Dodge City, Kansas. And I called for the invitation at the end of the sermon and several people came to the altar. And I happened to look back right about where this, this lady in that beautiful white hair is, right there. And I looked right there, and here was an old lady. Now, you're not old. This lady was old. And I saw her in her hunched form turning around in her view like this. And when she got positioned, she very slowly got down on her knees she stayed on her knees at her pew for a long time. I was quite, I guess the word is surprised. Because generally people use their decrepit bodies as a reason that they can't kneel anymore. I had Lee Robertson come to our church in LaGrange when he was 90 years of age. And uh, he was there at the church a little while before uh, the uh, service began. I said, Brother Robertson, would you like to pray before church? Absolutely. That man was on his knees so fast, I didn't even see it happen. 90 years of age. By the way, the lady in that church was 97. I thought, you know, God's at work. And God sees humility. And humility shows it's not that we go around to show it off, but it shows. You can't hide humility if you really have it. You cannot hide that spirit that wants God so badly that you're willing to humble yourself because God says right here that he has respect unto the lowly. Sadly, there's not a moment of lowliness in American Christianity. It's a word that we find in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Let me just quickly reference that for you. 
I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now, how do we walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called? With all lowliness and meekness. With all lowliness and meekness. We cannot be worthy of the vocation wherewith God has called us if we are stuffy. We cannot have an air of aggrandized opinions of ourselves. We cannot have some kind of a puffed up view of our own importance. We must understand that God is the all-important one. I'm not important. I may be important to my wife, but I can't be important to myself or I lose the power of God instantly. I may be important to my children, but I cannot be important to myself or I find myself scrambling around trying to do what I can't do. I may be important to my little grandchildren who call me Papa, but I can never be important to myself because when I am, I find that God has walked away and he's standing off in the corner of my life saying, well, I'll watch, but he's not involved. No, he has respect to the lowly. And one of the battles of revival is to bend your knee when everything in you wants to bow your back. One of the battles of revival is to develop humility and lowliness and contrition and weakness. <coughs> this world is so humanistic. It is so backward and upside down. And I tell you what, we need to turn upside down, upside down, because what upside down is upside down, it's right side up. Don't ask me to say that twice fast. I do like tongue twisters. I appreciate that flute number. Thank you for that. And I'll, I'll give you, a, take a break here. A tutor who tooted the flute, do you know that one? A tutor who tooted the flute tried to tutor two tutors to toot. Said the two to the tutor, is it harder to tutor or to tutor two tutors to toot? Anyway, that's my hidden talent. I have a couple others for later. No, you see, God wants us to be broken before him. And you know, we, we see Paul the apostle, and he tells us that so that he would not be proud, so that he would not be elevated, so that he would not be exalted, there was given him a thorn in the flesh, which was a messenger of Satan to buffet him, so that he would not be exalted above measure because of all the revelations God had given him. And you know what he did? He went to the Lord. He said, this thorn in the flesh is not convenient. It's not comfortable. Take it away. And he besought the Lord three times. And God said, no, Paul, no. I'm not taking it away. You're going to have that thorn in the flesh, that messenger of the devil to buffet you. And I'm going to tell you, instead of taking it away, I'm going to give you grace. To whom does God give grace? The humble, the needy, the broken, the helpless. And we as God's people find that revival is a battle against our own flesh. 
because every man and woman in this room wants to be self-sufficient. We don't want to depend on God. And self-sufficient believers dry up very quickly. There's another battle in the Bible. It's not just the battle of the pride of man. But notice verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. Another battle in revival is all the trouble that is around us. How many of you would say by an uplifted hand, at some point already in 2023, you've had trouble? My hand's up. Troubles. And David said, I walk in the midst of troubles. In other words, I'm in the middle and trouble is all around me. You know what those troubles do to us sometimes? They disillusion us. I know believers that at one time were fervent and zealous and they encountered troubles and they just grew They got disillusioned. I know believers who got hurt in a church. By the way, if you go to church for 30 years, you're going to get hurt in church. If you go to hurt church for 30 weeks, you're going to get hurt at church. Because we are human. And you know, I, I don't purposely hurt people. I do like to pick on people once in a while. And you know, when I see certain you know, hairdos, like the piano haircut, you know, the bald one. <laughs> I was in this state in another church, and there's a fellow in that church, and I've been there a couple times now, and he is as bald as a brass doorknob. He does not have one hair anywhere on his head, and it's not shaved, it's just there's nothing there. And so I was laughing with him one day, and I said, uh, you know, I wish you'd comb your hair when you come to church. He said, well, there's a, there's a story behind that. He said, when I was young, I had lots of hair. And he said, my uncle gave me a pearl-handled comb. He said, you know, I still carry it with me. I just can't part with it. <laughs> I don't even know how we got onto that. <laughs> but back to the troubles. I know people get hurt in church, and that's it, they're done. I know people that pray for a while about something, and God doesn't answer it the way they wanted it answered. And that's the end for them. I want you to understand that there is a man in the Bible by the name of Job who was perfect and upright and feared God and is too evil, and no man on the planet has ever borne trouble to equal his. Other than Jesus, who became sin for us, who knew no sin, so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. No one has ever borne trouble like Job did. The book of Job is about two accusations. The devil comes along and he says to God, you, God, are a manipulator. The only reason you bless Job is so he will serve you. And by the way, while we're talking about Job, he's an opportunist. The only reason he serves you is because you keep blessing him. 
God said, really? We'll check that out. You, you go take everything he has. But don't touch him. And then the second round, take his health. You just can't have his life. And where do we find Job? We find Job in the, mid, in the middle of his trial with his friends sitting there accusing him and running him into the ground even farther. We find Job saying, you know what? I look ahead, I look back, I look around. I can't find God. But he has not lost me. He knows the way that I take. I think when Job was writing, he said, I look ahead. I think he was saying, I'm looking into the future. And I cannot see any way that this horrible trial could ever turn out right or well. When he said, I look back, I think he's looking back into his past saying, I, don't, I can't think of a single reason why this would have to happen to me. When he looked around, I think Job was saying, I cannot see any value right now to what's going on. But he knows the way that I take. You see, Job didn't give up. Job encountered a battle, and it is the battle of trouble. Believers have to explain trouble. Lost people have to explain everything else. There is trouble in the world. Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, says, I would that you would not be ignorant, brethren, concerning the trouble which came to us in Asia, how we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Sounds a little more uh, serious than that he couldn't get a parking space at his favorite coffee shop. No, he was pressed out of measure, above strength. In other words, that this trial was off the charts. That was Paul the Apostle. You know what happens to some people, Pastor Outler, when they encounter trouble? They're all done with God. And they miss the revival. They miss the trial of your faith being much more precious than a gold that perishes, though it be tried with the fire, so that it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. They miss that, what God is doing. They miss what God's doing. They miss the deliverance. They miss the revival. They miss it because of the trouble. David said, even though I walk in the midst of trouble, God is going to revive me. God has it under control. I don't. And so we see here in the psalm the background of revival. Every time you come to church, it's an opportunity for God to speak to your heart and do something worthy in your life. We see the battles of revival. They're real. Because we must humble ourselves. We cannot be proud. We cannot be lifted up. We must humble ourselves. We have to face trouble and not let the trouble overwhelm us. And that brings us to the third point tonight, the bonus of revival. Or we could say the blessing of revival. Notice what David writes in the last verse of the psalm. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works 
of thine own hands. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. You know what the bonus or the blessing of revival is? God perfects us. God perfects us. When we come before the Lord broken and helpless and needy, when we come before the Lord not walking in our own strength, not having some mental uh, lie that is telling us that we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. We come before God with great needs. We cry out to God, broken, needy. Years ago, I, many years ago now, probably 30 plus years ago, someone introduced me to the game of golf. And I found out somewhere on the first hole that I was no good at the game. <laughs> I tell people the last time I played golf, I got a 27 on the front nine. And that was the first hole. <laughs> because I've never perfected the game. I was playing with another preacher who was romping me, and he said, well, he said, you know, if you're going to maintain your game, you have to play at least 72 holes of golf a week. If you're going to improve your game, you've got to play more than that every week. And here I am, I'm still on the first hole, and it's like 14 times, zoom, 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 and I'm thinking, I don't have time in a year to perfect my game. But you know, if you get a golf coach, you know what he's going to do? He's going he's to teach you the exact way to hold the golf club. And he will perfect your grip so that your grip is right. He's going to tell you how to hold your arms. You know, they've got to be a certain way. Kind of like the way this girl was holding the flute. Did you notice? Her arms were motionless. Her fingers moved. But there's a way to hold a flute. And if you don't hold it that way, it ain't going to sound right. You've got to hold your club. You've got to hold your arms. You've got to put your feet in the right place. You know, if the, the ground is, you know, uphill this way, you, you center it off. You center off the other way. If the ground goes down the other way, if the ground is level, you put the ball right between. You know, you, you've got to learn all that stuff. And, you know, if, as you perfect the game, you get the ball in the hole a little faster. We like high quality. We like things that are perfected and improved. We go to a restaurant. We like good food, don't we? We want good food. We want the chef to have gone to school, and we want him to have learned a better recipe, a better way to make potato salad, a better way to make spaghetti. We want this guy to make it so that we're going to keep coming back. You know, when you fly, I don't know how many of you fly. How many of you fly from time to time? A few of you. Do you want the airline that has the lowest safety standards? Crash Airlines Incorporated. We'll get you down sooner or later. Our stock is falling and so are our jets. No, we want an airline that has perfected the science of flying. 
We want pilots who have perfected the science of flying. And you know what God is after? People whom he can perfect. And God cannot perfect the proud man. Because the proud man doesn't even see that he needs to be perfected. But you know, God will perfect that which concerns you. Some of you have sins in your life. You know they're sins. You know they're wrong. You know they shouldn't be there. The bonus of revival is God can change that. Some of your marriages have impasses. An impasse is, you know what? We don't even talk about that anymore. We're never going to solve it. Well, think how much happier your marriage would be if you would solve it. Or let God solve it. Because God can perfect a marriage. God can perfect a family. God can perfect a church. But it all starts, like David said, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. It's personal. It's personal. A victory in my life. Something that God wants to do that I've tried to do for years and I can't. God wants to do that. God wants to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. I challenge this church tonight. Where are you in Psalm 138? Do you have the background? Are you fighting one of the battles? Or are you ready for the blessing, the bonus of revival? I'm going to get to stand tonight with our heads bowed. I'm going to have the pianist come and start softly playing number 410. 410. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm, I'm asking that nobody be looking around. I wonder if there'd be somebody here tonight who would say, Brother Farnham, there's an area of my life where I need revival. You just hold up your hand where I can see it. All right, there are hands on both sides and in the center all over the church. Okay, you may put them down. There's an area of my life where I need revival. I would encourage you to put that area near the top of your prayer list and pray about it every day day in and day out until God accomplishes the perfecting in your life that you need. I would also encourage you tonight to make an altar right here at the front of the church or at the front pew or even like that little old lady in that church right at your chair. Let's bow the knee tonight before our God Let's beg him to do that work in our lives that we need him to do. Let's bow the knee tonight and seek God. Seek him for that perfecting. Seek him for that change that we need. The Lord will perfect that. If God perfects something, something has to change. If it stays the way it is, 
then it didn't get perfected. 